Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, I want to uh, really jump right into the scriptures this morning, if that's okay. But, but well, I guess before I do, I want to, I want to set up the background a little bit. Um, anyone ever met somebody who is just like, they're just a tell-it-how-it-is person? Like, no filter, they just... Tell it how it is. Anybody, you got someone like that in your life? Okay, sometimes I think I can be that person. But something I admire about Jesus, the man, the God-man, fully divine, right, fully human, he has this incredible ability to be this tender, loving, gentle lamb where he, where he sticks up for the adulterous woman, right, where he, where he touches and interacts with the people that nobody wants to touch, no one wants to interact with. He sticks up to the bullies. He sticks up for the weak, right? He, he, he can be the lamb. But, but in that same breath, Jesus has no problem rising up as a lion, right, who confidently embraces confrontation, confidently. We're going to be in Matthew 25 this morning, but leading up, as you turn there in your Bibles, if you, if you got them, leading up to Matthew 25, we see Jesus, he's, he's teaching in the temple in Matthew 23 through 24, and he begins to confront the religious leaders at the temple. And as I was studying this week, reading this, this uh, conversation he has with them, it's been a while since I've read it, and I'm just looking at what Jesus is saying like, holy cow, this dude can be a lion right? Seriously, his conversation, he approaches these religious leaders who, and honestly, they had it coming. Like, you look at, you look at their life, and this is, you know, God in his house, and, and his, this isn't something he takes lightly, right? You look in the Bible, it says not many of you should be teachers. You'll be judged more strictly if you teach this. Like, this is no small command to be a leader in the church. This is, not, this is something Jesus is passionate about, we talk about that, that righteous anger. We see Jesus get, the, the times we see Jesus get the most angry when he's turning over tables, it's when his temple's being defiled, right? So he, he doesn't take it easy with the teachers in the church. He doesn't take it easy with the religious leaders because they're supposed to know better, amen? So he says, and at this point in time, the religious leaders, they're living hypocritical, apathetic, greedy lives. And Jesus has something to say about it. You can see in Matthew 23, you don't have to turn there. I'll just give you a couple of the names he decides to use as he addresses these religious leaders. He calls them hypocrites. Blind guides. Snakes. Brood vipers. And he even goes as far to call them children of hell. Children of hell. And after this conversation, you know, it's hard to tell. You know, it's like text messages. When you read text messages, it's like, are they mad? Are they happy? I, I, I wonder when Jesus is addressing them like this, because John 1.14, Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. So I, 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 I read these texts, and, and I don't see Jesus screaming, you brood vipers, you guys are children. Like, I don't think that's how Jesus, but, but I also wonder, like, you children of hell, you know? It's like... What, what is the demeanor here? I'd be so curious to see. But after this conversation, I don't know if it's because Jesus was flustered or not. We know that Jesus would often get off on his own to pray and talk with God. And it says that Jesus, uh, he, he goes to the Mount of Olives to, to basically by himself. And I believe he, he went to, I don't know if he was flustered or not, or if he was like, I, I need to spend some time with the Lord because y'all are getting me frustrated. 
But he's at the Mount of Olives. He's by himself. And, uh, you know, I think to spend some time with God, which was a normal part of his walk. Uh, but then in Matthew 24, so a chapter after that, it says that his disciples came to him to privately chat. And something that's so incredible about watching Jesus talk with his disciples is I, I know there's no filters when Jesus is talking at all. But with his disciples, you can see, like I think about the, the parable of the soil. And Jesus, he's just out sitting by this lake, and then this huge crowd comes up, and he t tells this parable of the soil. He goes, seed was thrown on the path, right? Seed was thrown on the rock. And, and then later, the disciples come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, that, that was awesome, man. That was a good story. What did that mean? And he tells them. So when, when we get to observe and eavesdrop on these conversations that Jesus has with his disciples, we, we get to find out the good stuff. You know, like, Jesus, what are you, what are you really saying? And, and there really is no filter. So, Jesus, so, so his disciples, they came to him, and, and, and they start talking to Jesus. And Jesus, in all his wisdom, he gets into some deep theological stuff, right? He opens up with talking about the end times a little bit. Right? We know this is eschatology, the study of the end times, the stuff we don't talk a whole lot about in church. Maybe we should do a series. I'll put in a, I'll put in a word. But um, we'll talk about it a little bit today. Um, but, and, and then Jesus begins to, so he talks about this in the, in the coming age and in, in the end times. And then Jesus, he gets into um, some parables with his disciples. And we've talked a little bit about parables here when we were going through are at the movie series, but for those who are unaware, parables are something we see Jesus use, utilize all throughout his three years of ministry, um, especially throughout the Gospels. And I would define the parables as earthly stories that communicate heavenly principles. So at face value, it just looks like this short story, but they're rich with heavenly principles. When Jesus has given us parables, there's so much to gain from them. So this morning, I, I want to walk through one of them uh, slowly. I, I want to walk through the parable and take out all that there is because they're jam-packed um, with, with rich heavenly principles. So in Matthew 25, we find Jesus having a private conversation with his disciples where he starts sharing some of this rich heavenly knowledge on the kingdom of God and how it relates to us. So Jesus begins to share this parable. So Matthew 25 verses, we're going to go through uh, almost 16 verses today. I say almost, it is going to be 16 verses and, and more. Uh, so Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm reading out of the ESV, it says this. He sits down, he says, and he, remember, he's talking about the end times here. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So right off, right from the beginning of this parable, I want you guys to know as we venture through it, remember, parables are symbolic. So each character has, has a role here. There, there's a deeper meaning. There's something being communicated through this parable, and it's important to know the servant here represents Jesus Christ. Or, or the master, sorry. And the servants represent his people. It represents us. You'll notice this parable, it starts off the servants have been entrusted with property. Okay, they've been entrusted. It isn't their own, right? But the property belongs to the master. So take note of that. Verse 15, 
to one, so, so as he, he distributes this property to each one. So we'll see, to, to one of the servants, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. And then to another, he gave one, each according to his ability. He goes, man, man, man I, know you, I know you got it like that, you get five. You've been doing pretty good, showing a lot of growth, give you two, right? You get one. A lot of growth needs to take, no, I'm just playing. I mean, it, it's funny, I think we think of this word talent and we think, immediately we think skill or ability, right? But the word talent at this point in time, it's actually referring to a large sum of money. As I studied, scholars think that a talent was equivalent to 20 years worth of a daily's wage. So a talent in, in today's money is about $600,000. So even though he only gets one tally, we're like, ah, you only get one, you know, like, this is, a, this is abundance, Regardless, it's abundance. Okay, so we're talking about big bucks here. We're talking about an abundance of resources. It's obvious this master didn't lack resource. Okay, he had the resources to give. But what I find interesting about this parable is the fact that all the, all the servants didn't receive the same amount. They all received much, but some were provided more than others. And what's the importance of that? I think we know this to be true, but to see it coming out of Jesus's mouth is, is a whole lot different. Um, I, I think Jesus is showing here, listen, what I, 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 I'm giving to you through your ability. In essence, I, I've given everyone a different measure. And the truth is, some people are given more than others. I, that's not fair, but like, you're not the boss, you know? It's him, it's his plans, it's his purposes that are gonna prevail, and everybody's been giving something. But, and I think that we see this and we go, for me, there's almost some freedom in that. Because I feel like I can get on social media or I can listen to these pastors on YouTube or whatever, I'm always you know, listening to different pastors, and, and really quick, I can, I can watch the way they lead their churches and watch the way they lead their people and I can watch the way they preach and, I, and literally I can get up in my own head. I'm not the only one. I'm just the only one in the room willing to admit this right now. But I can start thinking, man, I'll never be like that. I'll never do it like that. I watch these dudes get on planes. They'll fly across the country. They'll preach at this conference. Then they'll come back to their church, lead four services, and then they take off to England and go do it all over again. And I think, man, I literally preached twice on a Sunday morning, and I got to recover for two days. Like, that's not my capacity. And we can start looking around and, and start feeling, I'm not good enough. Man, what's, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you, boy. You got your measure. Keep your eyes in your own lane. Be not complacent, but be content with what God's doing in you, what he's doing through you, and be hungry to grow. We know we're never finished. We know we're never finished, but I don't need to look over there and let that lane and say, oh, man, he's got all that, so I'm not going to do anything at all. No, 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 I have my measure, and I'm responsible for my measure. This is the very reason com comparison is so dangerous because, listen, we've all been given different measures, but that's okay. It's okay. We, as the people of God, we've all been given abilities, talents, and resources from our Heavenly Father through, through His Spirit that's at work within us, right? 
And we have to understand, we don't all have the same measure. And there's multiple scriptures that'll back this up and say we've all been given a portion of grace, right? We've all been given a measure of grace, and it's directly related to our role in this house and our role in the body. And we need to be content with what our role is. Hungry to grow, but content with what our role is. Amen? Um, and it's not so much about what, how much you have, right? This is important. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. It's not so much about what you have, God is most concerned, what are you doing with what I've given you? What are you doing with what you do have? Right? I wrote it like this. God is seeking a people that are willing to make good use with what they've been given rather than complain or fixate on what they haven't. And I think I've been guilty a lot of times of looking around saying, no, I don't have, I'm not like that. I'm not good like that. Man, look at him. He, I can't believe he's... And that's just not part of the call. That's not a part of the purpose. Um, so, and we see that principle to be true as the parable continues on, right? Verse 16, back to the parable, it says this. He who had received the five talents, right? So the one who got the most, the stud here or, or whatever, through that earthly view, right? The one with the, with the measure of five, he goes out. It says at once he traded with them and he made five talents more. He was a good steward. He, he, took what, he took what the master gave him, he, and he went to work, right? Then 17, so also he who had two talents made two talents more. So the one who got two, he went out, he went to work. He, he did a great job, right? He, he used what he had been gifted, what the property he had been entrusted with. He, he went to work. And then verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the mass, after how long? A long time. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So we see each servant is given their portion. Five, two, one, master leaves for a long time. And while he's gone, everybody goes to work. Everybody understands, I have this. I have to, I have to steward what I've been given. I have, to, I have to steward what I've been given. And the five and the two, they get to work. But the guy who has one, the servant who has one, literally puts a hole in the ground, puts his money in there, and never thinks about it again. And it begs the question, what were you doing then? What, what was your focus on then? Be, because that was, that, was the, the, that was the master's gift, right? And, and I can't help but assume, oh, you, you started focusing on, on you. You started taking care of what, what you wanted to do, what you needed to do. Right, the parable continues on here, verse 20. And he, or, or so, so remember, the, the master is now returned, right? And he comes back after a long time to settle accounts with the servants. And church, I want you to know, um, you know, and, and I say it with humility, but one day, Lord's gonna come back to settle accounts, right? What did you do? with what you've been given. I'm not talking about a work salvation here. 
I'm not talking about it. It's going to be what we do is what saves us and gives us the approval or the not approval. But I will tell you this. Real, authentic faith, real love in Jesus changes behavior. Real, authentic love in Jesus, a real relationship. When, if I love my wife, I'm not going to go just do what I want to do. I'm not going to say, yeah, I love you and cheat on my wife and lie to my wife and, and mistreat my wife and neglect my wife. Right? No, I'm in love with her, so my actions are going to show that. I'm going to go out and buy flowers. Right? I'm going to give her a hug and a kiss before I leave. It's going to change my behavior. Right? When we fall in love with Jesus, really in love with Jesus, it changes everything. This is a sobering word this morning. It's a, it's a sobering word. So the master has returned. Okay, and he, here's where we pick up. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You utilized what I put in you. You used what I sowed into you. He said, you have been faithful over a little. Now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's what this tells me. When, when, we, when we understand that, when we use what God's given us, when we use what he's put in us, there's purpose to be found in that. There's joy to be found in that. There's fulfillment to be found in that. And I think a lot of times, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. I'm really just, honestly, this morning, church, I'm really just preaching that how the Lord's putting it in my heart. I'm not even really staying close to my notes. I, I can feel the spirit on this word this morning. But, but I, I think a lot of times we, 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 we take all that we've been given and we go use it for us. I go use it for my gain. Verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. And I'll set you over much. He says, enter into the joy of your master. I love how you'll notice there's the five talents, right? But how does the reward differ here? They both, they both get to experience the joy. They both get good, good, good job. Well done, faithful servant. They both get it. One at five, one at two. Again, that's why I think the principle here, it's not about how much you have. What are you doing with what God's given you? And then we observe the interaction between the master and the third servant. And, and these are the conversations and the thing as preachers I love that I have to talk about. That's sarcasm. I'm glad y'all are laughing now. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I, I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what is yours. In essence, I did nothing with what you gave me. I, I did nothing. I didn't utilize it. I just 
buried it. In verse 26, and, 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 and you know, it's like, I, I don't even really, you read this and it's like, well, that's not that bad. He just, he didn't lose anything. He just buried it. But then you, you see the master's reaction. Verse 26, it says, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. These are some harsh words. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received at least the interest. You, you could have at least done that. Let the, let the, I was gone for a long time. But I could have at least gotten some more money with the interest. You did nothing. You didn't do anything. Verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then verse 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is always directly related to eternity in hell. So again, the, the, really the only word that accurately describes this interaction is sobering. And church, I, I got to tell you this morning, I know we don't talk about it a whole lot, but eternity is, is real. Eternity is just as real as Marshfield, Missouri. Heaven is, is, is just as real as Marshfield, Missouri. Just as real as New York, New York. It's a place. It's a place we're going to go. And as real as heaven is, heaven, or hell is just as real. It's just as real. And we have to take note, this, this man isn't a stranger to the master. It's, it's not someone he didn't know, but rather this is someone who the master has called servant. And this story should shake us from our apathy and it should move us to action. My question for you this morning, hey, it's the happy phrase, we're generous with our time and our talent, but seriously, church, what are we doing with our time and our talent? What are we doing? Again, I want to be clear, it's, it's not our actions or performance or our work that will save us. But based off what I see in the scriptures, what I read, when I look at James, uh, uh, when I look at James 2.14 and it tells me that faith without action is dead, I have to assume that if my faith doesn't change my behavior, if there's no transformation, if it's all information and no application and no transformation, right? If it's just all talk, if it's just what I read, it's just what I say, but I don't live it out, if there's not a transformation of my, in my soul, if I don't submit to the Holy Spirit of God, is that really faith at all? And I'd have to look at the scriptures and I'd have to say, we're not doing a real great job loving Jesus if there's no transformation. He gave everything. So in that, I got to be all in. I got to give him everything. I got to give him my thoughts, my actions, my words, my life. I, I got to put down my desires. I got to pick up his, right? I'm in love with him. I told y'all I don't love to go to the, the plant store and walk around and look at flowers with my wife. I don't like it, but I love her, so I'll do it with her, right? The, the, the two aren't separate. 
The two aren't separate. Real, authentic faith, right? In works, behavior, who we're called to be. I think we talk about a faith and works, but the truth is faith transforms who I am. I don't have works without faith, right? Real, authentic faith is gonna change the fiber of who I am. And I'll show you scripture, right? The truth that says I'm a new creation in Christ. And if I'm made new, man, you're, you're gonna see that in my life. Faith without action isn't faith, church. It's not faith. Amen? Good. Good. I'm glad we still got people here. We gotta understand we, we've received it all through Jesus. Right? That's huge. We've received it all through Jesus. Everything is his. So my life, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. I think this parable, I took this quote from John Piper. This parable, he's a theologian, preacher, pastor. This parable is meant to strike the appropriate fear of God in us and force us to ask, what are we doing with the grace that's been given to us? What are we doing with the grace that's been given to us? So as, as we go through this parable here, I got technically 10 minutes left and I got three points left. <laughs> I, I want to talk through the principles of this parable. The principles of this parable. And uh, like, like I said, parables are these rich, are, are there, there's earthly stories with rich heavenly principles embedded within them. So I just want to pull out three principles from this parable. Um, what, what is Jesus really trying to communicate to us here? All right, Jesus, I read it. What's the moral of the story? Number one, it's all God's. It's all God's. Matthew 25, 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted to them whose property? His. His property. Church, have we, have we shared in the revelation that this life and everything in it belongs to God? This life and everything in it belongs to God. The psalmist writes this in, in Psalm 24, 1. He says, um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Colossians 1.16, one of my favorite verses in scripture. I feel like I say that a lot, but it says, for through him, God created what? Everything. Everything. God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see. He made things we can't see. God made such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. We have to understand, y'all, like as we sit in these seats, Monday morning when we wake up, church, we have to understand everything was created through him and for him. The reason we got breath in our lungs, the reason we're alive, right, is because God has plans and purposes, things he wants to do in us and through us, right? The only reason we're here is for, is for his purposes, his plan, his kingdom. My time, my talent, and my treasure is all his. He created it all. And if we think, nah, it's mine, I work for it. Nah, I got it. Man, that's mine. That's, that's mine. Who gave you those abilities? Who, who, who gave you life, right? Mom and dad. Who made mom and dad? 
right? Their mom, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> when you understand that everything is his, when you understand that, when you understand everything is his, you understand everything has heavenly purpose, including our lives. One, it's all God's. Two, I'm a steward. Definition of a steward is to manage or look after another's property. AKA, church, we don't own anything. We're stewards. Everything we've been given of our life, relationships, our finances, our talents, our abilities, we're stewards of it all. This is a huge part of God's uh, call to humanity. Genesis 2.15, it says this, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. From the beginning, you go, you go back to creation. Stewardship was the very thing. It was a part of, of who we were created to be. God put them in the garden. He created, but he said, I want you to watch over it and tend it. AKA, I didn't make the garden, right? They, they, didn't, they didn't plant the plants, right? They, they didn't make them grow. It's like, no, God put seeds and fruit so, so the seeds could fall in the, and reproduce. It's like God created everything. We've been called to steward everything. You can look back to the very beginning and, and you can see this to be true. Stewardship, to be a steward is, is part of what God's put in all of us. And as we, as we read through the parable, um, a, a few things that we see made clear is we've all been given grace with a measure. Matthew, Matthew 25, 15, it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and then he went away. And like I've already told you, there's times as a pastor where I look around and say, man, he's so gifted, he's so good. How did he even come up with that thought? Like, man, look how, look at his church. Look how he's, man, look at his, look at all that he's doing. Look at, look how his people just, I can't believe it. They're really, you know, and I get so caught up, discouraged, thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not doing enough. I'm not a good pastor. I, I don't know enough. I'll never be there, whatever. And what about you? How easy, how easy is it to look around at those who have been given the five talents, right, and think, wow, I'm never gonna be like that. And I think here's what oftentimes happens. A lot we go, eh, so I'm not even gonna try. So I'm not gonna do anything. Listen, you can write this down. Don't neglect what the Lord has graced you with. Don't neglect what the Lord has graced you with. And don't neglect what the Lord has entrusted you with, with, whether it's a lot or it's a little. It's important. First Corinthians writes, some parts of the body that seem weakest, listen, listen, this is so good. Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. They're the most necessary. Man, that, that verse gives me hope. Does that verse give anybody else hope in the room? You can look at you can look in the first couple chapters of Luke, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus' parents leave him at the temple. I'm pretty sure that's in Luke. They leave him at the temple. They come back, and, he, and he's teaching the religious leaders in the temple. But then it says Jesus grew in wisdom. Like, like growth is a part of this process. Even Jesus grew in wisdom. Be content with where you are. Always hungry to grow. Never complacent. We're never finished, right? 
understand that growth is going to be a part of our process, but don't neglect where you are now and what you've been entrusted with in this season. What are you doing with what you've been given? Are you being generous with your time and generous with your talents? We're never finished. I'm just going long today. I don't care. First Peter chapter 4, 7, they can wait outside, right? Verses 7 through 11, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Can we all say amen? And, and if Jesus doesn't come back while we're alive, listen, we got, with this coronavirus, about a couple years. Best, no. <laughs> but the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love, it covers over a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your talent, right? Then verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Like, do you have the gift of speaking? Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all your strength and all your energy that God supplies. God will supply for you, right? Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All the glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So I pulled that. The, the second thing I, I pulled from this here is God expects us to get work. Or, or I'm sorry. God expects us to get to work with the grace we've been given. Get to work. Say, get to work. Again, it's not about how much you have, but it's about what are you doing with what you've been given, your time and your talent. And you'll notice this, this servant, I, I want to say that there's no excuses. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm not that good. I just, I just don't think I'm going to be great at it. Insecurity, it's not an excuse to not get to work. We, we got to overcome his spirit hasn't made us timid. His spirit hasn't made us fearful, right? His spirit gives us power and boldness and self-discipline and a sound mind. Come on, we just got to take some steps of faith. Trust in his spirit will meet us there, right? Fear, just because you're afraid, doesn't mean you can't act. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't suffice. We see that third servant. He goes, I knew you were harsh. Like, I was scared, so I didn't do anything. And, and, and did that change anything? No, 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 the insecurity, the fear, the doubt, the lack, the ability, the hurt, the trauma, it's not an excuse. We got a call, we've been commissioned. Matthew 25 through 24, he says, Master, I, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, he goes, I, I was scared. So, so I just, I just, I just, I, I, I didn't want to make you mad. Like, and Jesus, he, he says this, he goes, um, he goes, so I, I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap." Where I have not sown, you, you knew I gathered where I scattered no seed. He goes, okay, if that's what you thought at least, like if you thought that's how I was, if you knew I had abundance, right? He goes, 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was owned on my interest. Jesus isn't agreeing, the master isn't agreeing that he's unjust or lacks character. He's simply challenging the reasoning of this third servant saying, so you knew I had abundance, you knew I never run out, you knew I had enough and you still did nothing, what are you scared to lose it for? What are you scared, what are you scared to fail for? No, no, my abundance is to free you, to liberate you to go do and be and use what I've given you and put inside of you. No excuses. No excuses. He goes, you didn't do anything, man. I I just wanted you to move. I just wanted you to act. I just wanted you to walk and I would have met you there. Amen? No excuses. Church, how are we spending our time and our talent? Are we being generous with it? Are we stewarding it? And then three, the third principle I pulled, the promised return, the promised return. Proverbs 11.25, it says this, that the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves. You know, the, the way the kingdom of heaven works, you know, God's kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom, so it doesn't make earthly sense. Like, the world tells you, they start the fight, you finish it. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek, right? The world says, you want it, take it. You want it, take it. No, it says, you want more, give more, right? This, this upside down kingdom, this upside down kingdom. Time and time again, the scriptures promise, listen, if you're generous, if you're willing to give away, I'll give you more. If you're willing to use what's inside of you, exert what's inside of you, give it away, I'll give you more. There's a promise return. It liberates us. It frees us to be generous, and we've been talking about this. But I also want to talk about the promise return of the master, too. This is a, a two-side corn here. Coin, not corn. This is my last verse here, Matthew 24, verses 37 through 44. It says this. When the Son of Man returns, this is talking about Jesus. And remember, this is in chapter 24. So Jesus has just, uh, you know, he's just kind of mouthed off, so to speak. Maybe not the best word to use, but to the religious leaders, put them in their place. And uh, he, he went off by himself and the disciples come up and Jesus start, just starts spitting that reel, right? Jesus starts, no filter. He, here's what it is. Just sharing all his wisdom. And he says that when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Y'all remember Noah, the great flood? In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And he says, this is what it will be like when the Son of Man comes back. You might be at a wedding. Wow, there's a beautiful couple. (laughs) For real. It's like you might be in the middle of a game, like sh- shooting that light. Three, two, gone. He, he goes, you're not going to know, but it's, it's going to happen. You think I'm kidding. Look at verse 40. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Right? 41, two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Verse 42, so you too, keep watch, keep watch. 
for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homemaker knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Listen, if you knew what was going to happen, you would prepare for it. You'd prepare for it. Come on, Jesus is trying to set faith in some hearts here. In multiple times, we, we see, I think it's in Timothy, it says that it is God's will that everybody be saved. But here's the truth, church, not everybody accepts this invitation. Not everybody does. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house from being broken into. You also must be ready all the time, say all the time. All the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. What are you doing with the grace that you've been given? Don't fall asleep. Don't bury your talent. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.